Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, it's an episode for writers. From time to time, I like to give writing advice, since that's pretty much what I did for years. And what I want to talk about this week is feedback, because feedback is a very important part of the process. No matter what you're writing, whether it's a novel or a screenplay or a play that is going to be ultimately a collaborative effort with actors and directors, etc., you can't write in a vacuum. You do need feedback, and feedback can oftentimes really help improve your script or your book or whatever. On the other hand, feedback can also be kind of confusing, and so I thought what I would do this week is just kind of help you navigate the waters a little bit and discuss aspects of feedback. First of all, I found personally that it really helps having a partner. You know, uh, especially when you're writing comedy. It was always very helpful to me to have David Isaacs. I would pitch a joke, and David would look at me like I was an idiot, and I would know, okay, maybe we should come up with something else. The key is you got to trust the other person. You have to trust the other person's judgment. And uh, one of the things that David and I have always done in our career is that if one of us pitches a joke and the other doesn't immediately respond to it and then you like take a couple of seconds and try to sell the joke and if that still doesn't work, we just drop the joke and come up with something else. Instead of arguing about it for 15 minutes and then having one partner unhappy because the joke either did or didn't go in, it was just so much easier and took less time to just say, okay, let's just go for something completely different. Uh, that was very helpful. So like I said, having a partner is a big advantage. And in our case, too, we had a writer's assistant, Lana. And the way David and I would write was uh, we would dictate the script to a writer's assistant. She would sit there and take shorthand, and we would just pitch out the script. And there were times when we would pitch a joke and the other would go, yeah, okay. And we'd say to Lana, do this. And Lana would turn to us and go, really? Really, guys? <laughs> and that was generally enough for us to go, all right, well, maybe we could beat it. So it's good to get a writer's assistant named Lana. A big question is always, should you get feedback while you are writing? Well, the advantages 
you're getting immediate feedback, and so that could prevent you from just going off the rails. And some people kind of need that incentive to keep churning out new material. They need to have these deadlines so that they can get the pages, the chapters, the next uh, section of the script to the reader by Friday. It is a way of keeping them on track. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of it. Disadvantages. Well, you can get confusing feedback that will cause you to constantly rewrite. Sometimes you're getting things that totally confuse you, and after a while, you start forgetting what your vision of the project was. Also, you find yourself at some point doing three things at once because you're trying to move forward in the script and you're going back and you're fixing this thing on page 15 and you're going back and you're still working on this thing on page 8 that you've worked on four times and it's really hard to just move through the script. Uh, It's very easy to get lost. And this is a truism you can ask any writer. He will tell you the same thing. If you try to please everybody and satisfy every note, you can guarantee that your script will be a piece of shit. I mean, that is a law of, like gravity, okay? Uh, You just cannot please everybody, and when you do, the results are very disappointing. And you see this quite often in television, in television pilots, where the creator has a script, and over the course of production, he's getting tons of notes from the network that he has to take, and tons of notes from the studio, and it just homogenizes everything. And by the time it's done, and you look at it and you go, God, this is a really uninspired nothing. Well, Maybe it wasn't when the writer sat down to write his first draft, but by the time he listened to and addressed everybody's concern, what he was left with is just a big mess. So remember, don't try to please everybody, okay? Um, I never give someone a draft until it's finished. And David and I were absolutely adamant about that, to the point where we were willing to walk away from an assignment if that was one of the things that we were required to do. I mean, we even put it in our contracts, because there's a lot of producers and screenplays that want you to submit every 30 pages. And so you're again, you're going back, you're rewriting, you're just you're just constantly addressing notes. And one thing that we found when David and I would write a screenplay, generally we would overwrite the first 30 pages 
because we were really trying to get to know the characters and really hear their voices. And by the time we finished the script, we were able to go back and see that, you know, a lot of this stuff in the early going really isn't that necessary. Uh, We get who these people are. So we would make a lot of, you know, sometimes big cuts in the first 30 pages. Now, if we had to submit our original 30 pages, then we're getting notes on things that are not even going to be there. So for us, it was very important not to submit 30 pages. Uh, Like I said, that was a, a deal breaker. The way David and I worked is once we finished a draft ourselves, we did a polish. And oftentimes, that's where we would make a lot of cuts. And we would nail down the voices and the tone. And there would be certain things that we discovered along the way that we decided that we needed to set up earlier. And we just made notes of that. And now in this draft, we went back and incorporated them. Again, if you're just sending pages 31 to 60, then, you know, the the key element ultimately in that section is something that you haven't even put in yet. And yet you're sending it off to get notes. Not a good idea. Like I said, um, you're getting the idea that uh, I'm I'm not all for it. Am I being too subtle in that regard? But uh, we also felt that it was helpful to get a reader's overview of the whole piece. I mean, were they able to follow the story? Did they like the story? Were they confused? Did the love affair seem rushed? Uh, did you buy why they fell in love and... Did you get why they were in love with each other? So these are things that you're only going to be able to learn once you have a completed script. Accepting feedback. Here's the key. Don't be defensive. You're the one who asks for the input. Again, it's not like network notes where you're required to do them. So... You take what you want, and you discard the rest. But if several readers are telling you the same thing, have the same problems, then you should probably really look at that. Oftentimes, you'll get conflicting opinions. One person loved this character. The other person hated them. At the end, you're going to have to decide. And again, uh, don't just take every note. Sometimes, too, when somebody has a note, it might seem a little strange to you, kind of get in their head. Maybe something is bothering them, but they don't know how to articulate it. Try to think, okay, what did he mean by it? Why was he concerned by that? And if you know the people who are giving you feedback, you know if, say, somebody doesn't like a particular character, you go, well, okay, (laughs) he hates those kind of characters. He hates them in any show. He's bitched about them 
in other shows. So you go, okay, that's him. Okay, learn to be able to size up whether or not the the note is something that's based on someone's personal bias or just someone's impression of what they saw. Now, readers will often suggest alternate stories of what they would have done. Now, you can certainly consider their optional story, but if you like the one that you're telling, then protect it. I have often said, you know, that's a great idea, but it's not the story that I'm telling. Now, but that means that you need a reason for why you are telling that particular story. What is the theme? What point are you trying to make? And is this the best way to make it? Because sometimes you will have a point, and this has happened to me, and somebody will suggest an alternate not a a whole story, but like an alternate scene or an alternate direction. And I'll think to myself, you know what? That's better. (laughs) That's better. That's more elegant. That's more clever. uh, And I'll go off and, and do the rewrite. But you're the one who has to decide. A great source of feedback is a reading. And you don't have to get professional actors. You don't have to rent a giant theater. You can do it in your living room. You can gather the best actors that you can to hear it. Or even friends, if you think they know how to do it. You know, you can either just have them sit around a room holding scripts and you're the only one listening Or you can invite friends and family and hear what they have to say. Let me back up a second. Make a note about uh, family. Okay. Um, It's very difficult to get honest feedback from family members. Really, is this this somebody that you really trust? Someone who will be honest? Now, family members are oftentimes biased. Happily, they're usually biased in favor of you. Is it something that you feel is useful? Are they... Are they offering something that you feel is sort of an objective, you know, a, an opinion or, God, you know, my son, Jesus Christ, this guy, not only can he walk on water, but this guy can write comedy. This guy is, is just hilarious. Uh, be careful about that. Now, if you're giving a script to a family member or even to a friend, Here's a big question. Do they know how to read a script? Can they visualize it? Not everybody can. People read scripts and it's hard for them to 
visualize what this would look like on the screen. So you have to take that into account. And sometimes people will be honest with you and just say, uh, uh, I'm terrible at that. I, I can't really read a script and picture it. I actually had an agent who was like that. I'd send the agent a script and he would call back and go, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's my agent, folks. Okay. Anyway, uh, getting back to the reading. So kind of be wary of family members, especially if it's a comedy, because they want to love it. And they will be laughing hysterically at things that perfect strangers would just sit there stone face. So you have to be careful. Also, when you're listening to the reading, especially if you don't have great professional actors, if something doesn't work, it's up to you to determine, well, is it the script or is it the performance? If I had a more charming actor, would the character come off as more charming? Or is it that the script is just not very charming at all? So that's something else that you have to determine. One way to do that is to have two readings, have different actors, and see what you get. A lot of times, if you're doing a reading for like a theater company, they will ask for a talkback, which means at the end of your reading, the people in attendance are invited to give you their input. Now, let me just say that ultimately talkbacks are worth it, but I hate them. I just, I just, I hate the process. Now, sometimes they're very structured where you first have to say what you liked about the play and uh, you have to only give positive feedback. And that's, to me, that's, that's all bullshit. Okay. Talkbacks can be very useful. Now, I've had a number of plays that I developed at the Ensemble Studio Theater Playwrights Unit here in Los Angeles. I've brought in new plays, I think, three or four times. And I found them very useful because there would usually be two or three really good notes that I would incorporate. So, again, I, I... stress the fact that they may be painful, but they are valuable and, and they are worth it. And at the end of the day, uh, even though it's sometimes torture to sit through them, um, (laughs) it's to the benefit of your script. Um, Sometimes, no, not just most of the time, The notes are confusing. And I find that once somebody latches on to something, 
then everyone just piles on. I I really didn't like the the dad. Uh, I, I thought the dad was really kind of cruel. And then the next person would go, oh, you know, I, I just want to echo that. Um, I really had a problem with the dad. And then the next person will say, um, you know, I really like the play except the dad. Um, I don't know. There's something the dad, like, really bumped me. And, you know, and, like, by the fifth time, you're going, I fucking get it. Okay. You don't like to kill him, for Christ's sake. Uh, yeah, there's the piling on. But, like I said, do not be defensive. Okay, that makes for a very awkward atmosphere. You just say, okay, thank you. I'll think about that. All right. And sometimes a note that you didn't take, you go home, you think about it later, and you go, "Mm, you know, maybe there is some value in that particular note. I didn't think so initially, but mm, mulling it over, they might have a point, and uh, this might be something that I need to address. But again, don't be defensive. It's so awkward. And they're like a couple of playwrights in this this uh, playwrights unit that are going, well, yeah, but he says that in the, in the first scene. Well, yeah, but that was 45 minutes ago and we had totally forgotten it. You know, yeah, well, I like that he's cruel. I, and you're going, well, okay, <laughs> it's your script, do it, do whatever you want, but, um, yeah, and quite honestly, when, uh, when I know that one of those writers is going to be bringing in a play that night, uh, I'll sometimes just skip it, because I'll just go, oh, God, I just don't need it, I just don't need the arguments, you know, I just don't need the tension. Uh, it's it's just not worth it, okay? Um, I repeat, you don't have to take the notes. You don't have to do them. So thank them and take the ones that are valuable and use them and discard the others. Um, instead of talkbacks after my readings with an audience, because... Since I have comedies, I'll put together readings and I will invite an audience. I'll rent a theater for a night and I'll try to get 40, 50 people to come and see it. And I invite the people who I invite to bring a guest because I want some strangers. I don't just want friends and people I know. I want strangers hearing this stuff for the first time. Um, But uh, what I do, instead of a talkback, is I will invite people to either talk to me personally, if they have any thoughts, or send me an email. Okay? Uh, You just don't want to be barraged with notes by 40 people at once. Most of what I get out of readings, I'll be honest with you, are things that, that I determine, okay? Does it drag? Is there a scene that's really dragging? 
Is a line too wordy and hard to say? Is this funny? Is this necessary? Now, I may have specific questions that I will ask audience members. I have a play that is a comedy mystery, and I was very concerned with were they able to follow the mystery? Were they surprised by the ending? Were the clues laid in well enough? The other thing that I do is I'll make an audio tape of the recording. And that's easily done with an iPhone. And there's tons of apps that are, are free that you can get. So you just record the whole thing. And I then will go back and listen to it again objectively. A strange experience. Again, I go back to that comedy murder mystery reading I did. And as I'm watching it live, I'm hearing jokes that don't work, and there's laughs along the way, but I'm like concentrating on, gee, I don't know, is this clear? Is it, should this have gotten a better laugh? Uh, so all of these things are going through my head as, as I'm watching it. When it was over, I asked if people got the mystery and were surprised by the ending, et cetera, et cetera, and, and they did. So I figured, okay, fine, it's a successful reading in that regard, but in terms of the comedy, eh, it just it was all right. Uh, you know, I, I got a lot of work to do to punch this sucker up. And then I went home and I listened to the tape, and I thought to myself, well, what show was I watching? Because there were tons of laughs, just one after the other after the other. It's like I was so focused on something that didn't work that I was still stewing about that for like the next three, four minutes and missing <laughs> things that did work. So it was very helpful to have uh, an audio recording. Huh. Now, like everything else, there's no foolproof method. You can have two readings. Like I said, you can have two sets of actors. You can have two audiences. And you might get totally different reactions. Uh, there's other factors. And I know it sounds silly, but these do factor in. What night is your reading? If you have a reading on a Tuesday night, chances are it is going to be better received than if you have the reading on a Friday night. Because Friday night people are tired. They worked all week. They're kind of pooped. If you do it on a Tuesday night, well, it's something to break up the week. Those are a factor. If you're going to do it in a theater and it's a comedy, is the theater air-conditioned? I mean, you don't have to do like uh, David Letterman, and I, I think the studio, when he did his show at the Ed Sullivan Theater for CBS, I think the the temperature, <laughs> the audience was like 40. It was ridiculously cold. But uh, if it's too warm, then people get sleepy. It's not conducive to 
comedy and laughing. So temperature in the room could have an effect. Um, a lot of these things may be factors, may not be factors, but they're just certain things to keep in mind. And uh, the last bit of advice I can offer is to get the best actors you can. And sometimes this is tricky because you're asking somebody to come and do a reading for you and you're not paying them. So you can't really have a casting call. <laughs> you can't ask six of your friends to come in and audition for a part and not give it to five of them. For readings, you pretty much have to offer the part to somebody. Remember, they are doing you a big favor. Now, sometimes it's kind of tricky because you'll go, oh, man, I, you know, I, I, I got to find uh, somebody who is charming and about 40, uh, you know, young Ted Dan. Where am I going to find that? It's hard. And you look at a guy and you go, well, okay, maybe he'll do it. Sometimes it works out, and sometimes the third line, you're going, oh, Christ. Oh, this is a total waste of time. This this guy can't do it. Not a chance. So um, it's kind of a crapshoot, but it's really important. Get the best actors that you can. Um, I suggest provide snacks for the audience, Better yet, wine and booze for the audience. Again, hold it in a comfortable space. Rehearse with the actors if you can, even if it means if you're going to have a reading, say, on a Tuesday night, have them get together at like 2 in the afternoon and just read through the script once so that you get a chance and they get a chance to hear it. And then you can give some notes. If there were some rough parts, you can... Go over those a couple of times just so that uh, they're not doing cold readings. And my last suggestion is in this digital age of ours, have printed scripts. Work off of printed scripts. Because when actors are working off of tablets... Oftentimes, in fact, you can almost bet that this will happen. They'll whoop, they'll lose their place. They'll be on page 30 and like whoop, they lose their place. And then it takes like a couple minutes. Oh, I, oh, wait, I lost my place. Uh, and, then, and then you just sit there for like another three minutes while they find it. And whatever momentum you had going, whatever tone, whatever feeling you had, whatever tension you had created, it's just all completely obliterated. So a way around that is make sure that all of the actors have printed copies. And there you go. That is my uh, rant <laughs> on feedback. I would uh, enjoy your feedback on this or anything or any questions. 
uh, Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. That's Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to uh, Bruce and Jason Miller, and also to John Wolford. You can follow me not on Twitter anymore, but on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I showcase some of my cartoons. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week, right here on Hollywood and Levine.